Why don't you pray for us, Norma? Good morning, Father. Thank you again for a new day, Jesus. And Father, we lift it up to you, these uh, family members and everything that is happening here in Orlando. God, I just pray, Jesus, for your strength, for comfort, for peace. Father God, I pray, Jesus, that if they don't know you, Father God, that they will come to know you in this time. Father God, that, uh, that you will send people to speak truth to them, Father, in the midst of this tragic. Father God, and I pray, Jesus, that you are strengthening us as a body. Father God, that you speak truth to us, to us in this morning, Father God, and that, Father, that you help us to be still and to know that you are God, Father God, that over all, Father, you are in control of everything, my God, and that our kingdom, your kingdom will never be shaken, Father God, because we are, in, you are the rock, you are our foundation, Father God, so I pray, Lord, that you are strengthening us and help us to be strong and be still and to know that you are God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
just lift your voices to him right now. In your own way tonight, just tell him, Lord, you are everything to me.
Lord God, you are holy, holy, holy. We magnify you. The most high, the creator of everything, the giver of life, our blessed redeemer, our wonderful savior. Words cannot even contain the majesty of your power, the majesty of who you are. Lord, we reverence you right now. We glorify you. Lord, you're so awesome. You're so wonderful. You're so glorious. That's the kind of God we serve, amen. He wants to show his glory to us. The beauty 
Father, we acknowledge you this morning, Father, as Lord. Father, we lift up um, all that have been um, affected by this tragic event. Many lives were lost. Many lives have been scarred. Father, I thank you, God, that, Lord, in the midst of such tragedy, Father, that you would move, that people would be drawn into you, Lord. I pray that you would comfort those who are mourning, strengthen those, God, who, who are overwhelmed and anxious. Heal those, God, who are in the hospital. We give our leaders wisdom above all, God. And Father's reports are coming out that this was um, possibly ISIS, a terrorist attack in our city. We pray, God, just for our leaders and our first responders. God, that you would give them wisdom. God, that you would expose the plot of the enemy who would seek to wreak havoc. And above all, God, that you would humble your people. And Father, we would seek your face. God, that we would turn from our wicked ways and you would hear us from heaven, Lord, and heal our land. So, Father, we acknowledge you. We pray, Father, that we would just be attentive today as we open up your word, that you would put aside anything that is heavy on our hearts or has affected us this week. And that, God, we would truly seek your face above all to be encouraged so Father that we may go from this place Father to be a light in this city so that others will know the hope that is in Christ Jesus for that Father we thank you in Jesus name Amen Psalms 51 is where we're heading before we get to Mark chapter 11 kind of been parked this week in this psalm, meditating on it and praying through it. <clears throat> so psalm 51. Mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain, or the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, and purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. 
And this is King David, whom the Bible describes as a man whose heart is towards God. As a man after God's heart, God selected David to be king over Israel, the God-fearing man. But yet we see David, after his encounter with the prophet, Nathan, because Nathan was used by God to expose David's sin. You see, David should have been at battle, but yet he was home. And David fell in to sin. He had an affair with a married woman. He ended up killing her husband or having her husband killed. He tried to cover everything. He ended up bringing her into his home and marrying her and just doing everything he can not to really expose where he's at or where he's been. And yet, when the prophet came and spoke the word of God to him, he felt such anguish and guilt. And so we see him here praying have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. What I love about this is that he has an intimate relationship with God. He knows that God is a God of compassion. A God that would respond to one who was humbling themselves before him. A God who would reconcile David back into himself. And yet still hold David accountable. David goes on here and he says, Against you... In you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. He's not trying to get away. He understands. I know my wrongs. I know what I've done. I know that you will be just in your judgment against me. He, he goes on for... I was born a sinner, yet from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Wow. Again, he knows God. Again, he is... He is Pleading in, 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 in such a beautiful picture of humility and repentance. 
Not making excuses. That has a heart of, of a genuine repentance. Like, oh God. I want to encourage us this morning as we're listening to the Word of God. How's your heart? And that's something that, you know, I always bring back before us. Like, how's your heart? It's so easy to get so caught up in all the craziness that's going on in life and in your own personal struggles. But have you ever really thought about it? I know the past couple of weeks I've been asking you, do you love him? How are you responding to God's love for you? How are you dealing with the sin that you're so easily entangled in? Not allowing it to, to bring about you know, condemnation and shame and guilt, but truly feeling the weight of conviction like, Oh God, my attitude sucks. You know, my, what I'm putting my hands to, what I'm putting my eyes to, what I'm allowing to come out of my mouth. What, you know, whatever it is that, that we're doing, that we are purposely choosing to do. Because again, when we think of sin... <laughs> It's a choice. No one forces you to sin. It's your choice to either rebel or to obey. It's set before you, life and death. You choose which direction you're going. And He loves you enough to give you that. But in giving you the direction you want to go, He's revealing Himself time and time and time again. He's making His presence known to us. And so we have to choose then which path are we heading down. But it's so beautiful that you, if you head down that wrong path, that when the awareness of, of your choices and, and what you've, you know, of, of, of dismissing God out of your life, that you can turn and He's so gracious and He's so compassionate that He comes and He restores us, He, he, he heals us. He gives us a hope. He gives us a, 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 a desire to, to get up from where we've been and to, and to move on. And what I really like about here is he's like, God created me a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. I don't want a divided heart, God. Don't banish me from your presence. And, and don't take your spirit, the Holy Spirit, from me. What really stood out to me, and I heard a, a pastor preach on this today, was, well not today, this week, is like, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And the pastor was encouraging believers that so many times we get so caught up in the, in the, in the formula of trying to get back to God. I gotta do right, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this, I gotta do that or we're caught up in whatever we're caught up in, and we want the, the, the 12 steps to freedom. But, he says, all that is good, and it serves a purpose, but if it's done without this plea of verse 12, it'll amount to nothing. Because you're not dealing with the hard attitude of why you chose to go that way. He says the reason why we choose to sin, the reason why we choose our rebellion over obedience, is because we've lost the joy of His salvation. Such great salvation. We've lost the, uh, 
the, the, the whole picture, the whole fullness of, of what he has accomplished for us. And so David even recognizes that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And look at the next line after that. And make me willing to obey you. Mm. In that knowledge of great salvation and the fullness, God, of who you are. And the depths of the love that you have for me. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And in restoration, God, allow me, give me the strength to be willing to obey. I don't know about you, but rebellion shouldn't be defining our lives. Doesn't mean that we won't, doesn't mean that you won't sin, doesn't mean that you won't fail. But what it means is that it doesn't have to define you, just get up from it. Get up from it. Know of His great love for you. Don't excuse your sin. No, you need to be sorrow. You need to have that deep sorrow, that godly sorrow, like, oh, why have I united myself with this yet again? Like, oh God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Like this picture of such great humility. And then I love how it goes into verse 13. What's that joy? Is rebirth, if you would, within you. Once the, the, the path is set before you and, and the obedience and the desire to obey God, look what the next thing is. Then I would teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. That is my prayer for us. That the joy of his salvation would yet again be ignited in the hearts of the church. And in doing so, that we would walk in obedience unto him. And then in that, that we, as he says here, teach your ways to rebels. And they will return to you our lives you all there's so many people that are hurting out there there's so much stuff going on out there and they said I know what it's like to get wrapped up in your circumstances to get wrapped up in everything that has been just bombarding you but we've got to be a people who are persevering we've got to be a people who are, are getting up, we've got to be a people who are encouraging and edifying each other we've got to be a people who just turn to God and say God no matter what and as we were praying this morning I was reminded of, of a teaching I did a while ago and of, a, of a teaching that I heard that you know, the Bible says that the weapon forged against us will not prosper it doesn't say that the weapon will not be forged it says the one that is so we recognize that there are things that's going to be forged against us. But they can't prosper. Because we're in the hands of God. We are His people. We are His children. And there's work to be done. And if we just continue to get so sidetracked by everything else and we're taking our eyes off of Him, then we're missing the fullness of, of, of our purpose on this earth. 
David understood this. And that line there in verse 11, do not banish me from your presence. Take not your spirit from me. I wouldn't even know God have mercy. God have mercy. Just the thought of, of not being with him. The thought of, of the choices that I make just to go my way and wow, at his presence, you all. God help us to, to not take for granted what we have. And it's not because of anything that we've done. It's because of his love for us. It's such great love, you all. He loves us. God. He is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. To reconcile us back to him. To abide in his presence. To long for his presence. Are you longing for him? And if you're not, don't beat yourself up. Just fall on your knees. Like, oh God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I'm going to find that place again, God. And the great thing is, you hitting your knees is not on your own. It's because he is working this in you. Because the Bible says that what he has begun in you, he is faithful to complete. Oh, that we would seek his face. Go to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Prophecy. We're heading into Mark chapter 11. And today we're reaching the point where now Jesus and his disciples and his followers are now making their way into Jerusalem. This entry, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And what we've understood about Jesus is Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies that were spoken many years before he was even born of this coming Messiah, of this coming King who would deliver Israel. And so we see here in Zechariah, Chapter 9, verse 9, and as we open up the book of Mark, we're going to see this prophecy fulfilled. He reads, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus, making his way in to the city. Remember, his disciples and these people, they don't have the fullness of the knowledge of him being the eternal king. They're just seeing him as an earthly king. He's going to take his throne, and he's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to make our lives better. They wanted him to be what they expected him to be. And all along, he keeps revealing himself of truly what his purpose is. And yet they're not getting it. They're not getting it. They're waiting for their lives to be different. 
They're waiting for the temporalness of this life, to everything to work out for the better for them. They were so short-sighted. They, they didn't get the fullness of this picture of who he was and truly who the Messiah was prophesied to be. They have their agenda. Just like at times we have ours. God, we expect you to do this. We expect you to be this way. We want to create him to be God, and yet, how can we do that? Man can erect idols and slap Jesus on, on them, but really it's not truly who God is. How do you see God today? Do you see him for the fullness of who he is? Or do you see him just for how you want him to be? These people had no clue who they were ushering into Jerusalem. They thought they had an understanding, but they didn't have an understanding. And we're going to find, as we're entering into Jerusalem, that Jesus has to deal with what he's finding, what he's, what he's found, or what he's going to find in the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but did you know this is the second time that Jesus has cleared the temple? It's the second time. And when I was studying this, and I was like, oh, that's right, that is the second time. It really hit me this week. I said, these people are not getting it. So I want you to go to John, in chapter 2. Jesus, this is the first time that Jesus clears the temple. And he tells them how the temple should be and what the purpose is of the temple. And they're not, they're not getting it. Because when he returns, he finds it yet again worse off than how he left it. Oh, how about our lives? <clears throat> we hear his truth. Time and time and time and time again. And we even feel his discipline and his rebuke because he disciplines those that he loves. And he moves in our lives and all of a sudden, if he was to look at your life today or the impacts of what happened here when he disciplines you, rebuke you, reveal himself to you, are they lasting, or are they going to find, is he going to find you worse off? These are people in the temple who think they have a knowledge of God, and yet they don't know God. They keep going their way. They keep making it about them. They keep making it about what they desire, what they want. We want you to be this way, God. And then not only that, they became very prideful and arrogant of their relationship with God. And in doing so, they kept people out from God. Even the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who should be the representative of God, you know, they were holding people enslaved and bondage to their rules, their religious system. And in doing so, they were also keeping out the world from God. And yet Jesus comes. To expose that system, to expose the heart of the men behind that system. You see, we've recognized at the time that he's really challenging people, that he gets really stern with people, 
is the religious ones. He has such great compassion for the lost and the needy. But these religious people, who are just making a mockery of holding a form of godliness, but denying the power of God, he has a problem with. So John, take a look at this. This was after his, the miracle of turning the water into wine. Verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. I love verse 15. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture, Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple. (laughs) And in three days, I will raise it up. Of course, he wasn't talking about the physical temple. Jesus was talking about his body. Isn't it interesting? He, he spoke it here in this incident when he first visited the temple and cleared it out. And yet now we're going to find him, as we open up the word today, he's back in Jerusalem, and they're about to destroy his body. This event in Jerusalem where he's at now in Mark, he's heading to the cross. What? They exclaimed, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days? Ah, but what Jesus said, this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the the dead, the disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. This triumphant entry. <clears throat> A lot of talk about Jesus, you all. A lot of talk about Jesus. What's going on in this time? Everyone is hearing about Jesus. People are unsure what to make of this Jesus. They know that his teachings are powerful. They know that he's performing miracles. They they see him with such authority standing up against the, the religious men of the day. He's exposing their heart. He's even warning people to stay away from them. He so boldly is able to declare about them that their father is the devil. 
people are gathering in Jerusalem from all walks and areas. These Jews are returning back. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it, and and we'll return it soon. And you know what the disciples did? The two disciples left. They didn't question Jesus. They left. They went to the town to get the donkey. That donkey and her colt. That prophecy that we read back in Zechariah was about to be fulfilled. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying the colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. This colt has never been ridden. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, this such triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Such, such an amazing victory is about to, 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 to be given. And yet, they're, they're not going to understand it. The King of kings humbling himself as a servant. He's about to make his entry into Jerusalem. He's fulfilling prophecy. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting. Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the, on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. And after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. Procession. He's going in. They're praising him. And yet their praise really had no meaning in it. They were still searching for him to establish his earthly throne. We're getting him there. And then once he gets there, he's going to take the throne. Our lives are going to be different. The oppression is going to end. Sometimes I wonder, you know, I just sit and I just think, I'm like, wow, is Jesus on this donkey, on this, on this colt, this donkey? I imagine what he's taking in. Looking at the disciples, looking at the response of the people. I mean, they're praising him. They're honoring him. And yet, he knows their heart. Some would remain loyal to him. 
But some are just caught up in the excitement. He knew his purpose. And yet when he looked around and he saw those that he loved, mankind, he knew the majority of them wouldn't love him. And yet he went through with what he came to do. Oh wow, that's such great love. Such great love displayed and remind me even when he was when he's hanging on the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what about us today? Are you holding on to bitterness? Are you holding on to, to hurt and to pain? Because what others have done to you? Are you angry? Has insecurities flared up? Just things that were done to you? How are we living our lives, you all? You see, as believers, we have a hope in Jesus that will never disappoint us. As believers, we're maturing. As believers, we ought to know that we're not going to be perfect, but we ought to be maturing. We ought to be seeking God daily. And then in seeking Him, being transparent before Him. That God, You've given me the Holy Spirit. Your Word says, God, that You've given me everything I need to live a godly life. But yet, God, I look at my life and and I can see that that's in myself. I don't know if I believe that's true. Just look at my attitudes. Look how I'm harboring unforgiveness and bitterness and anger, which leads me to this and to that and to this and to that. and, And it just drags me from your presence. Oh, God. They only can drag me because I choose to lay down for them. You know, the Bible says in Genesis that sin crouches at your door and its desire is to master you. But even way back in Genesis, God made a statement, but you must master it. See, we've got to stop making excuses for the sin that so easily entangles us. We need to recognize what it is. We need to recognize when the Word of God says that we've nailed our passions and our desires to the cross, we've crucified them there. There is a way in which we can live. Jesus is our example. Jesus, you rode into Jerusalem. These people are worshiping you, and yet in their hearts, in just a few days from now, they're going to be yelling, crucify him. Their expectations of you, Jesus, you didn't meet. Who have you let down? And how they've responded to you. Don't lose your purpose, you all, over your failures, or over what other people think or decide how your life should be or look. Don't allow the, the pain and the hurt that's been done to you to keep you 
from the fullness of what God has for you. See, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's why I love it when the Word of God constantly reminds us about growing, about maturing, about, about not being led astray, about keeping our, our thoughts on things that are above, not things that are below. Because if we get caught up with everything that's around here and everything that's being done to us, and we just embrace this good old pity party that we all can find ourselves sitting at, good is that? But because of Christ, because of what he has accomplished, because of what he has given us, because he's given us the Holy Spirit, because he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. God, I don't have to be defined by my sorrows, by my pain, by what's been done to me. God, as you walked the road to Calvary and you said not a word, Holy Spirit, teach me to get up every single day and walk the walk that's ahead of me and not allow myself to respond to the things that are happening to me because I'm only focused on myself. No, God, I want to be focused on you, that they would not see me, but that they will see you. And my hopes, God, is that you would forgive them because they know not what they're doing. God, they were lost just as I was. Oh, God, teach me to endure. Teach me to persevere. Teach me, oh, God, your ways. I mean, look at our example. These are standards that are set not because man has set them, because God himself has set them. Be holy as I am holy. And then in our humanness, in our sinfulness, in our rebellion, we can say, ah, that's so hard. <laughs> oh, but when you really get the fullness and that picture of salvation that has been given to you, that the joy of his salvation, like you know, it, it was hard at one point when I was bound to the rebellion, but now I'm bound to his resurrection. And because of his resurrection, I can live differently. And I can respond differently. And I can quickly forgive. And I can quickly submit myself to God. And I can allow him to grow me and to mature me. So that I'm reflecting Christ to others. The next morning. As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. This fig leaf, or this fig tree, full of these leaves. That's a sign that there should be some fruit on it. But unless you think Jesus is angry at the fig tree... He's not angry at the fig tree. You see, actually, this fig tree is to show the condition of Israel at that time. The fig tree represents the temple that he's heading to. You know that this verses before he took in, it says here, so Jesus came, verse 11, to Jerusalem and went into the temple after looking around carefully at everything. He left. Took everything in. He saw the condition. Now he's heading back. And there's this fig tree. 
full of leaves should be fruit. But what he's about to teach his disciples and give them an understanding of is yet though this temple it looks so beautiful. God surely must be in the temple. The religious people of the temple should be producing some type of fruit in their lives. And yet, though, it displayed such beauty, it had no fruit. And so the very thing he speaks to the fig tree is a parable in action of how he's going to deal with the temple. You notice a fig tree in full leaf, a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat of your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. May no one eat of your fruit again. Does that fig tree represent this religious system that promotes God and yet there is no God? (coughs) When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple. Again, I find it interesting that he mentions what he just said. May no one eat of your fruit again. Again, he goes into Jerusalem, he enters the temple, and begins to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. They wanted to remain in control. And Jesus was a thorn in their side. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teachings. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it and withered, that it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and explained, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And Jesus said to his disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain... May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you'll receive it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Now, lest you think, that you can just demand of God and pray and ask for whatever you want. 
That's not what Jesus is laying out here. And God is not to be used as a genie. <clears throat> the disciples are walking back. They see this fig tree. Again, what does the fig tree represent? The temple, the religious order, the, the religious system of the day. The mountain that Jesus is, 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 is describing here is not the, a literal mountain. But it's that which is in front of you that's blocking you from producing fruit in your life for the kingdom of God. Whatever it is, in Jesus' name, pray that it will be removed. Prayer. Your prayer life should be developed. It should be maturing. It's not meant for just you, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. No, as you're growing and you're maturing as a believer, your prayers begin to grow and mature. You're not praying just these soulish, selfish prayers. You know, you begin to pray the will of God. You begin to understand your purpose on this earth is so much more than you can ever even possibly imagine because you're just not bound to the temporalness of life. No, you are now part of the kingdom of God. The Word of God says that you have been engrafted into His kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The Word of God says that He's given you authority. He's given you power. He's given you the, the call to go forth and represent Him on this earth. So the very things that you're seeing that are blocking His truth from getting through are the very things that you can pray that they will be removed and it will be done so that people will come to Christ. Amen. Yes, he wants to prosper his people. Yes, he will, he will meet the needs of his people. But we've got to get beyond the fact that we're constantly pleading on our behalf. <laughs> pay my bills, Jesus, pay my bills. Do for me, Jesus, do for me. Like that's all he came to do? <laughs> I know. He provides for his people. Have faith in that. Have faith that no matter what comes against his people, he will provide, he will protect. And yes, it's okay to pray for those things, but it's not shouldn't be at the selfish, the root of such selfish inner just turmoil because you're afraid. By faith, faith has to be what the foundation is within your heart to speak forth prayer. Faith. Faith. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Remember the word of God says that when you ask for, but when you ask, believe. Don't be double-minded. Faith, you all. He gave this incredible understanding of a form of religion that blocks fruit from being produced in the life of God's people. He exposes it. Pray against it. Tell this mountain to be removed. 
and not just for your own life, but in the lives of those that you come in contact with, whatever's hindering it. The fullness of a fruitful life in Christ. Your life should be, be producing fruit. And not fruit that just dries up, but fruit that is being produced. A fruitful life. I mean, let me just go here real quick. Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. The people of God are fruit producing in every different season of our lives that we're going to face. Are you meditating on His Word? Are you cultivating a a time of devotion with your God? Are you in relationship with God? Or are you like the religious people of that day who had a form of godliness but they deny His power? They're not in relationship with God. They know God, but yet they don't know God. Do you love Him? Do you seek to honor Him in everything you say and do? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. Does that define your life? Or does your circumstances define them? You can't be God, and you've heard me say this over and over again, for God's sake, Jackie put it on a picture for us. You can't be God now, and then when we get the bad call or whatever happens, he's not God. Either he's God or he's not. Have you come to the fullness of the joy of his salvation? Do you understand what you've been saved from? Do you understand what he has accomplished? Do you understand why he came? I was thinking the other day, and you've heard me say this over and over and over, but sometimes I just think about it. I go, God, this message is crazy. It's crazy. You say, what? No, really. In the natural understanding of, of everything, it sounds ridiculous. Ariana was heading to the beach with her friends. And as I watched her walk out the garage and get into the car, I began to think upon this. I said, God, we hear over and over and over and over again of your your love for us, of of what you accomplished for us, of, of, of who you are. But how is it defining us? And I started praying for Ariana. 
because I've been trying to remind her over these past months, these past weeks, Ariana, just make wise decisions. And she's doing fine from what I know that she could be doing, just like the rest of us sitting here. I'm constantly encouraging you. I'm constantly encouraging myself. Make right decisions. Honor God. But it hit me as the door closed and she drives off and I come into the house. It hit me, I'm thinking, God, like we really have to really believe what we're saying for it to really impact our lives. Because God, I'm putting my hope into a man that I do not know. I'm believing that you're God, that you came to this earth born of a virgin. Grew up, started your ministry. You displayed signs and wonders and miracles. You taught with such great authority. And your whole purpose was the cross. In order to redeem and to save mankind. That you love so dearly and yet they're in complete rebellion towards you. And that somehow all this started because you spoke the earth into an existence. You, you, you created man. You created woman. And from there, sin enter in. Rebellion is set forth. Now everyone's born into sin. And you start really thinking about what you say you believe. Does it really define you? Do you really grasp it? Like I'm telling you, when I walked back in, I, I got so overwhelmed. I had to sit down at the table and I go, my God. My God. Sounds insane. And yet this insanity, and, I, and I, I say that lightly, has changed my life. Because it's true. Not because man says, but because God, you're revealing yourself to people. And I had to take in the fullness of everything he has done in my life, and I go, dear God, this is incredible. What are we doing holding this in? Why aren't we living it out? Why aren't we just testifying of your goodness and of your mercy? Why aren't we out there? God. Are you kidding me? You know, I've told you, I've, I, I used to hate God. I used to hate Jesus. I used to tell God, this is some weird cosmic plan you have. I've shared this with you all before. At a young age, at a young age, I was so angry with God. I thought, this is some weird game you're, you've played, you're playing, and I don't want to be a part of your game, because I didn't ask to be born. And yet, because you chose me, this is a young boy, remember? These are my conversations with God. And yet you chose me, and now somehow I'm accountable for the very nature you allowed me to be born into. This is a sick game. And I'm hurting, I've been abused, I don't like all this stuff that's happening to me, I can't stand to live. Conversations that ruled my heart against him. The charges that I held against God. And yet when he steps in, 
years later. Well, he was always stepping in. He's always present. We, we, we talked about last week. We can't escape him. He's always revealing his love to us. And yet, at the day that I'm ready to take my life, he steps in and says, Today you'll live. such great love and then all of a sudden as you draw close to him as you get to know him as you're meditating on his word as you begin to see him for what he is then it makes sense it's like all of a sudden some of the mysteries of what he wants to reveal to us begins to make sense and I'm like of course what an incredible incredible love story that all creation begin to see the love that God has but more so for created man and woman to respond to God in a way that would honor Him. My God, I just want to honor you. There's been seasons, y'all, in this walk, and I'm sure there's been seasons in your walk with Him where I keep getting at the end of myself and I just go, God, I just don't know if I want to continue this. This is, ugh. And yet he steps in. He says, oh, but not by your might nor by your power, Rob. It's all of me. Trust me. Trust me. Have you awakened to the fullness of his salvation? Do you find joy in his salvation, do you know what you've been saved from? Do you realize the wrath and the eternity that people who don't love him and has responded to his love, they're going to face? Do you realize, you know, I love it when I've heard it years ago, taught that he, he, he saved you from himself. His wrath. He's holding his wrath back, but soon it will be lifted. Because his purposes and his word is true. What he has purposed is coming to pass. And as I sat at that table and I was reflecting on all of this, I go, God, just make us all fools for you then. I don't care how foolish it may sound to anyone else, because it's going to, because if you listen it through the natural ears and, and the natural inclination, it sounds ridiculous. But when your eyes are open, you go, oh God, such great love. God, help us. Help us not to be the fig tree. full of leaves. Look, I go to church. I read my Bible. I do all these things. And yet I have no fruit in my life. And somehow I think I'm okay. Somehow I begin to believe the lie that somehow I'm right with God. Do you see how he deals with those who have that condition. 
you realize, and I told you this, the Bible doesn't tell us not to eat with the sinners, the lost. It tells us not to even eat with someone who calls themselves a Christian, who have a form of godliness but deny the power of God, have nothing to do with them. Those are the only people that you're supposed to be separating yourself from. These fig trees. These people who hold a form of religion. They like to post everything about God one second and post everything about the world the next. These people who talk double-sided out of their mouth. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, God blessed me. And before you know it, they're running muck way over here. These people who, who, who have no concept of this great salvation. And yet somehow they think they're partaking of it. They keep stripping God down. They keep stripping what Jesus has done just to settle within them. To give them a right to be okay with God and yet continue to sin. This form that's really no form of godliness at all. It's just destruction. And yet, we're quick to tell the world they're going to hell, but we're not going to look at a religious person and say anything to them because they, they sit in church with me. What kind of craziness is that? What kind of craziness is that? What message are we presenting And if you're finding yourself in a place where you're back and forth, don't allow condemnation beat you down, but you should have a conviction of the Holy Spirit because the Bible says you should not be living a life that's grieving the Holy Spirit. The Bible also says it's best that you've never known but then to know. It's best that you never knew. But you know. You've heard truth time and time and time and time and time and time again. But yet you don't respond to truth. You don't respond to his love. So it's not about, oh, I feel so horrible. You gotta get over yourself. You gotta stop making excuses. You gotta realize such great salvation is handed to you, such a free gift of God. His love for you is overwhelming. He loves you enough to expose the destruction that's ahead of you. Turn from it. Come back to me. You see it all through the word. Come back to me. Return to me. I've made a way, he says. I've made a way. I am the way. Jesus, you all. The very thought, I don't know how you woke up this morning, but the very thought of the tragedy that just took place just a few blocks from here, ISIS, most likely they're thinking it's ISIS. An act of terrorism in our city. Lives, 50 some odd lives, dead, laying on the floor. Others are in the hospital. People are affected by this. But 
work to be done in our city. As long as there's breath in our bodies, you all, there's work to be done. Christian lives have got to get beyond what we're pretending to be. Are we serious? Because there's lives dying. And you know what my biggest prayer is today? That people who are going to call themselves Christians, that before they open up their mouth to speak, that God would silence anybody who calls himself a Christian and, and yet will open up their mouth and say that these people deserved it. Because of their lifestyle. <laughs> and most likely, those people who call themselves Christians that would say that, they're the fig trees among us. Because you know what? Could have been any of us. Or anywhere that we take ourselves to that we know we shouldn't be. I said, God help us. Such tragedy. Such events are taking place in our day and age. <laughs> and we're worried about whatever you worry about. I go, oh, Jesus. God, that we wouldn't just be a form, that we wouldn't just be, you know, and I don't even speak now of us as a little fellowship, that this wouldn't be just like, oh, no, that's what I do, I'll just go. No, that you desire to be. You're like, God, I want to grow. God, I want to be encouraged. And do us all. I also want to encourage. I want to connect with people who are like mind and heart and spirit, who, who diligently want to seek the Lord and to love Him with their whole hearts. Not that we're being perfect, but God, that are people that are growing, people that are maturing, people that can respect each other, people that have a desire to be out there and to be alive, not people who just talk double-sided. But the people who would say, God, you've given us a place to come and, 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 and to be built up. And so, God, I want to I pay attention. God, I want to hear. God, I want to apply. I, I want to be discipled. I want to continue to grow. Because, God, there's work to be done. The darkness is growing darker. And we ought to be growing brighter. Brighter. Are you having a sincere time of devotion with God daily? How is your prayer life? How are you how are you growing in the disciplines that you should have as a Christian? Not because man says you have to do it or you do these disciplines to try to manipulate God, say, Oh, bless me, God. No, it's just disciplines of maturing and growing, of prayer, of fasting, of Bible study and devotion, of, of fellowship. You longing for that joy to, to, to be a lasting joy within you of such great salvation. Of his salvation. And just as you pursued the things when you lived out of your rebellious nature, so now you must put every effort within you daily when you get up to allow the Holy Spirit the one that is leading you. Because it can't be done by your effort, but it's by your yielding. God here. Hear, Holy Spirit. Use me. There's work to be done. 
I just don't want to pass by this person. I just don't want to pass by that person. God, I don't want to get so caught up myself. God, how can you use me to serve as you came to serve? How can I be encouraged? And how can I encourage others to truly love you? The fig tree, you all. A form of a life with no fruit. Again, they entered Jerusalem as Jesus was walking through the temple area. Here we go. The leading priest, the teachers of the religious small, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? Ah, again, we see how Jesus turns their questions right back around on them. I tell you by what authority I do these things, if you answer one question. (laughs) Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven? Or was it merely human? Answer me. I love Jesus. (laughs) I really do, y'all. Like he's not this weak-willed, come kumbaya, weird guy. No, he's God, and he's, he's very direct. He knows what is at stake for mankind. He knows the eternity that mankind, who do not respond to his love, are, is going to spend. And he knows what these religious people have done in perverting his truth. Answer me. God. They talked it over. Because now they know they're called. Like, oh, well, if we go this way, and if we go that way, these guys are something. They talked among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do. Because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, "Um, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Wow. Wow. Jesus, you all. Listen, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. And again, I don't take lightly where you're at and maybe what you're going through or the sin that you just keep tripping yourself up in. I don't take lightly where I'm at and the the sin that so easily entangles me. I mean, I just, all I could do is present the truth of God's word to you and then pray that we would respond to it. That we would respond. And we would say, okay, God, I relinquish my rights to myself. Consider myself dead, but alive in Christ. Not my will, God, but your will be done. God, you've given me your Holy Spirit. God, teach me. Like I see the fullness of salvation. I know what I've been saved from. I know now and in the place in which I will be when I take my last breath, I will be with you, God. Help me not to live a temporal life, but God, keep my mind and my heart set on the things that are above, 
on eternity with you. Because if I keep my eyes set there, all the temporalness and distractions of this world, I can't even compare to that. All the temporalness and all the craziness we're giving ourselves to, but that's not what you ought to be doing. I want you to think about this, and it's something I presented to us before. When you leave this place today, what <coughs> sin are you going back to? What sin are you going to go back to by your choice? Do you love him? Do you love him? See, above all, you remember when Peter exclaimed last time, well, we've left this, we left that, we left this, I've given up this, I've given up that. That's great, Peter. <coughs> what have you given up? What have you seen in and of yourself to say, no, 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 this can't be a distraction to me. This can't keep me from what God has called me to. I'm not going to choose this over my God. I mean, there may be relationships that you have to walk away from. There may be whatever it is that, that you're captivated by, bad attitudes, lust, perversion, whatever, that you may just have to lay down. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's like, okay, I'm done with it. No, like, but it's a process. But you've got to stop making excuses. Like You really need to see the depth of it. Like This is leading me to destruction, and why will I continue to choose destruction when such great salvation has been revealed to me? Why would you continue to choose His wrath over His love? He has such great love for you. How are we responding? Are we like these religious Pharisees that constantly come to Jesus demanding of Him? Show us a miracle. Then I'll believe. Are we like the Pharisees who twist his words just to satisfy our appetite? I see we can't be. Like Jesus is the conquering king. And yet as he conquered, as he was heading to the cross, he was so humble. He displayed such great compassion. But oh, when he returns... <laughs> He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's not coming back as a baby in the manger. No, it's finished. Everything that He has laid forth since the beginning is going to be done. And only you and you yourself know where you'll end. You know what you're doing. You're just playing the games, or if you're just whatever, or if you're truly in Christ. Again, y'all, it's not about perfection. It's not about saying that you're never going to, to sin. But it's when you do. How are you responding to it? Is it mastering you? Because Romans 6 is very clear. Sin shall no longer be your master. 
because you're a freed people. You're a freed people. You're a people now that does not have to be enslaved any longer to the world, to its desires. And I don't say it because it's good to say, no, it's life, you all. And recognize how hard it, and at times things can get. The greatest freedom is when you just let go of yourself. You'll truly learn how to live. You will truly learn how to live. That will honor Christ. And so I don't know what sin you're going to go back to entertain, or what sin you're going to go back because I'd have to go back. I would just only plead with you. Stop playing games. And start loving Him with your whole heart. There's going to be a multitude of people around this world today that's going to lose their life. The last breath given. You don't know the time, the day, or the hour. The differences for us in here and for everyone else who's gathered today under the, the banner of Christ throughout the earth is that we've heard the truth. And I pray that we're responding to it. Jesus, you all, such great salvation, such great hope. And if you're not finding that in your walk, then I would ask that you would let me know, let someone know here that can encourage you, that can pray for you, that can disciple you. And then as Norma and I was talking yesterday, I really want to encourage you all to get out there and evangelize. And I, I, I challenge Norma, if she is passionate about that, that she would just begin to go out there and let all of us know when she's going, if you want to go with her to evangelize, get out there and evangelize. You see, we are a full-functioning church, but we don't have the form of like a, a church, if you will, that has a lot of resources or a lot of people. <laughs> We're just a small little family, or a group of a, a small fellowship of people. But we should be evangelizing. We should be discipling. But it takes a commitment. It takes a commitment. I just don't want us to go out just to do. Because look, that's what we've done. And you shouldn't just wait to go out the day that Norma says, "Oh, we're going out." No. It, you actually should be evangelizing every day. Your life. Everyone. We're all called to represent Him. You should be out there representing Him daily. And you should be discipling others as you're growing, as you're maturing. You should be discipling. Your life should be producing. So I just want to encourage us as a fellowship that let's be a part about building the kingdom. And I want to challenge us, how are you doing that individually? Wherever you're at in your walk, if you're a, a babe in Christ, if you're middle age, or you're a senior saint, wherever you are, your life should be producing. You should be evangelizing. You should be discipling. 
We should be excited to share what God has done for mankind. So I just want to encourage you all on that. And some more information is going to come out about this, about the times to go out and evangelize. Um, so just be, if you're interested in that, we'll get you all the information on that. And I just want to close with this last thing, and then I'll close this in song. And, and I, what I'm going to share with you, understand it is not based out of fear. But I do want to be attentive to discerning and the direction that a lot of people, and again, not just Christians, but the secular world, like there's something on the horizon. And no one knows when everything could just collapse. But they are saying something's on the horizon. And so I just want to encourage us as God's people that we just prepare. That we're not caught off guard. That we prepare. That we prepare with resources. And that we prepare to ensure that every one of us that are part of our fellowship and our loved ones know how to get in contact with each other or where to meet or where to come if anything does happen. That we're able to respond in a way, again, not out of fear. I mean, I've shared this one testimony with you about 9-11. When the buildings were hit, terrorism was running amok in our nation. There was a group of people praying at the United Nations. I believe that was the location. And as they came in to clear the room, every, they, they started to react, to run out the doors, and it took one lady to stand up and get everyone's attention and say, wait a minute. That's not how we're to respond. And she began to organize people to grab the cambrows of water, take the, the, um, the tablecloths off the table, grab the pins, and they began to run towards where all the events were taking place, handing bottled waters out, having people sign their names on these tablecloths. And these tablecloths were used for loved ones to see that their loved ones made it out. They responded in such a way to embrace people in the hour and the moment of such devastation. I said, wow, I would love to meet this woman. She inspires me. She didn't get caught up. So that's what I'm telling you. I'm not, I'm not trying to say this because I want to promote fear or some weird religious crazy hoo-ha. I just want us to be diligent, just to be discerning. It's coming from all walks. So I just want to be able to prepare. And so for our admin meeting for July, if you're interested, come. And we're going to talk about kind of this preparation. If you can't make it, that's fine. You'll get notes. But I would just encourage you just to be mindful. To prepare. Just to plan. So that again, we'll be able as a small fellowship to respond.
in a way that will meet not only our needs, because it's not about meeting our needs, but that we can respond to the needs of our neighborhood and our communities. So I just want to throw that out. And you say, well, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. All I do know is that if you're listening to all the different reports, rather it be prophetic people who are speaking in the Christian church, or you're listening to the financial analysts over here in the secular world, they're not Christians, and they're saying, listen, there's going to, something globally is going to take place, and they're warning people that the financial system in which we're accustomed to is going to go away, and it can happen overnight. So again, it's not to promote fear in us, but it is should promote a sense of duty to say, we should begin to plan. Plan. And so again, I just really want to strongly encourage you all. I'm not fearful. I don't want you to be fear- fearful. But we must be diligent. We must be diligent. And I would also pray and ask that you pray for our nation and in Europe as well over the month of June. ISIS has asked their members to make this the bloodiest month in America and in Europe. So just be prayerful. Again, it's not promoting promoting fear because if we fear, they win. But it is to do due diligence while we're out there. To pray for your city. To pray for your surroundings. To pray to God for His mercy. And then again, and we would be a people who are discerning daily and how to pray and be ready to engage in a way that will serve those who need to be served. That's it. Again, I'm not asking to do anything you know, that's all about it. No, because ultimately our response should be service. So however we can serve others. So I just ask that you all be prayerful. Pray for our city, you all. Pray for the lives that are dealing with this tragic event. You know, don't take lightly that it hasn't affected you. It has. It's affected our city. It's affected our nation. And so let's be diligent just to be prayerful. Be encouraged with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer. Gone. 
Amor, a chegar.